Welcome to the second ever Socks in the City podcast. I'm your host, Sam. I'm Will. And today we have a fantastic podcast co-host of the Pesky Report and also lead social media specialist for SocksProspects.com, Ed Hand. How are you doing, Ed? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. How? Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. It's always weird for me to hear, like, my credentials listed off. It's just, it's, it's just... Like lead social media specialist. What does that? What does that actually mean? What is? What? What is? What? What does that? It, it, what? It's just. It's just a little surreal for me. So, uh, but yeah, thanks for having me, guys. No, it's it, it's impressive. Contestants are impressive. We're we're both big fans of your work, so we're glad to have you here. Appreciate that. If you are following this account and you follow this podcast, you are probably ninety nine percent certain to be following Ed already. But if not, go check him out. We'll make sure to link his uh, Twitter handle in the description. Probably one of the best Red Sox follows in general. All right. And then before we start, I just want to do some bookkeeping. Um, since the last episode, we had Barnes get traded for Miami left-handed reliever Richard Blyer. Uh, Blyer is not a hard-throwing pitcher. He is a ground ball guy, but gets a lot of outs. Will, do, you, do you have any thoughts on Blyer? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like kind of a we need more left-handed pitching, and Blyer's a great way to get it. Especially like I think we initially saw the the Barnes DFA, and you're like, doesn't didn't look like we'd be getting anything back. But then, yeah, now we got Blyer back, so I think that's definitely a a good trade, and hopefully it's a win-win for both teams. And Barnes can kind of bounce back in Miami, and Blyer can do well here. And it's not every day that you can get a guy for a DFA candidate that is already on Team Israel for the World Baseball Classic. That'll be pretty exciting to watch. Mm. Uh, and then to make up for the added roster spot for Blyer, Franklin Herman was DFA'd. Herman was the 22nd highest rated prospect, I think, on SoxProspects.com. Interesting guy, but probably not a late-ending reliever at any point in his career. And I think that sort of goes to our first question. Uh, we're, we want to talk to you about the sort of world-famous Ed Hand Trustometer. So we're talking, those are both everyone involved in that trade. And then DFA is a reliever. So that's sort of the first question is sort of how did, how did you come up with the Trustometer? And sort of what oh, is. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I hope I don't get in trouble for going over exactly how that came to be. But um, I was really stoned one night and I have it. I always go through, I always have like my own rankings for them and stuff. And I thought it would be kind of, I mean, initially I was very just curious what other people, how other people would react to that. Cause I, you know, um, I think this was pretty early in when I got my own Twitter handle instead of just running um, the Sox prospects handle. Um, so I would write the list out initially and I was just really stoned one night. And I was like, you know, this needs some really hastily made, ms paint art so i don't even like i look at i was using the same art like or whatever if you can call it that for the whole season um but i made it in about five minutes it's supposed to be me next to a futuristic uh like odometer that tells you who's trusted or whatever i've been told that the hat that i'm wearing in it looks like a dead cardinal and now i can't unsee it so um I said that I was going to uh, do some, like, uh, some ayahuasca or something prior to making the 2023 Trustimator, but um, that didn't end up happening. I have a new one that I spent way more time than was reasonable making. I think it was probably about half an hour instead of the five minutes on the first one. 
uh, but I'll be doing that again. Um, so that's the art on it. As far as what the trustometer actually is, it's just, it's not a ranking of the quality of each pitcher because that's really hard to do from season to season anyway, you know, because um, the stats make it very difficult to say who's better and who isn't. It's just such a small sample size um, for anybody, but it is, you know, how much I at this moment trust any given relief pitcher. So last year, I didn't really trust a lot of the bullpen. So you had a guy like Zach Kelly come up and immediately be like the fifth most trusted person in the bullpen. Um with all the bullpen help uh, that they brought in free agency, probably going to be a little bit different this year. But yeah, that's that's the uh, the long and short of how uh, the origins of the uh, my trustometer. You know, I've seen that graphic maybe a hundred times, and knowing that you were stoned and made it in MS Paint makes perfect sense now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, it was never anything that was intended to be good. It was like that. My sense of humor has always just been like really shitty clip art or like making things that like i like putting a lot of work into something to make it look bad i don't it's like it, it, it's like do you guys follow the eric andre show at all yeah, yeah 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 that's like very much like what i i enjoy the apathy of it i enjoy like the seeming lack of effort that's actually a lot of effort to make it like have that little effort um so that's sort of, at least with that part, what I wanted, uh, what I was going for there. <laughs> yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, that's like you're saying, that's a really great way to sort of look at relief pitchers because there is that tiny sample size. And it's kind of like, it's really hard to rank them, especially after like kind of East Game start. Like you'll see a guy get shelled and you're like, okay, do I have to, are they are they bad now? Because suddenly their ERA just jumped like twofold runs, but like, yeah, having that trust in media is a great way. And it is it is very funny. It's always I love I love I don't know, that kind of art theme of graphics made in MS Paint is always hilarious to me. So it's a it's a funny, it's a good way to look at the sort of relieving situation. And yeah, ho hopefully it'll be better this year and you won't have the Zach Kelly being top five, but yeah. Oh, see, I actually, I don't think Zach Kelly being top five is unrealistic even this year. I actually think he's pretty good, but um, that his changeup is one of the better pitches like in the entire system. So I could, I could see him uh, being a top five reliever uh, given the opportunity here. But there's a, just a lot more depth for them to play with. Yeah, for sure. Well, going off that, what is the current trust meter? Do you have what like already made for the season? Um, no, I mean, I had like a sneak peek one where I put like the top 15 guys based on who was um invited to spring training, but it's, you know, it's hard, it's hard to tell until you actually see these guys pitch a little bit. The first month uh last year, to be certain, was just kind of flipping all over the place. Um, once guys get into a groove and you see what they're capable of doing for like long periods of time, you can trust them more. Like Matt Barnes started the season as like one of the top three guys. Then uh, I think we all recall he did not have a great April or May, and then he got hurt. So he was guys that are injured do not appear on the trustimator because they're not appearing in games. Um, but he ended the season around number three. So he had a lot of fluctuation there. Um, but I mean, I can tell you off the top of my head, I'd probably go, um, I would trust Schreiber the most, then um, probably Chris Martin, then Jansen, uh, Hauk after that, assuming he's in the bullpen. Probably Richard. I'm trying to remember who else. Yeah, Richard Blyer uh, probably. Julie Rodriguez. Um, depend. It, it's it's tough because I don't know who's going to be the long man. Like, probably whoever ends up getting the role, either um, James Paxton or Cutter Crawford, or whoever they go with there. 
and then Ryan Brazier because you know, like you just you really can't trust Brazier at this point. Um, I understand why they're holding on to him. I appreciate the meme that he has uh, some kind of information on John Henry and uh, Hyam Bloom, but I still don't trust him as a pitcher right now. Yeah, that's yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just wanted like, yeah, what is what is your sort of working theory for Brazier second allowing this long over like the young guys and everyone else? Um, I think they trust him. I think he was part of that 2018 team and he really picked up the load in 2021. Also, people forget during that stretch run where they had to win like every game against the uh, Nationals he was coming in there. So he's a pretty proven workhorse in that regard. Um, He also took that line drive off of his head. So, you know, that always takes a bit to recover from. And then he doesn't walk anybody. That's that's the other thing that they're trying to build. It seems like... um, a bullpen that just throws a lot of strikes and forces the other team to take action into their own hands. What I heard, I think this was the Chris Cotillo um, interview the other day was that they're less worried about his stuff and more about the sequencing. They think that they can fix him through better pitch sequencing and using, you know, some of his um, off-speed stuff to set up his fastball, more that kind of thing. So I see that. I, I think that it's also just the, the coaching staff believes in him. They think that there's more there and, you know, veteran leadership that's been there before with them. I would say that's probably why you're seeing that. I would think he's not going to have a very long leash if we start seeing him get hammered again like he was for a good chunk of uh, 2022. I think that he's he's going to be gone pretty quickly. Okay, yeah, that, that makes more sense. Is he, I don't know. Do you have any sort of insight? Is he, in terms of veteran leadership, is he sort of one of the guys in the locker room that people want to keep around? I mean, it seems like people like him there. I don't have any specific insight into that, um, into what the current leadership is there. But, you know, like we've seen that people that they don't get along with as much don't really stay that long if Hunter Renfro is any indicator there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of thinking back to sort of Ploiecki last year where it was he was kind of – his stats really weren't there and you had Wong and, like, you kind of had options and Wong and McGuire and yet Ploiecki kind of stayed for a while because he seemed to be – he had that sort of, like, I guess, friendship with a lot of the pitchers and people really liked him so he kind of stuck around. So I was wondering if, I guess, Brazier kind of seems like that kind of guy where maybe stats aren't there but people like him. I mean, I think it's a little different with catchers and relief pitchers. I think catchers, there's a lot more, the relationship with their pitchers is is more significant than just, you know, like the last guy in your bullpen. Um, so I, I, under, I, I was, I was kind of surprised they held on to Ploiecki for as long as they did. It seemed kind of random to just let him go with like two weeks left of the season when you had Wong right there. You would have thought they'd be more open to giving him a chance to actually be on a playoff team by dropping him earlier, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know what goes into a lot of these decisions. I can only really look at it from, um, you know, from the same perspective that uh, you or Sam is looking at this. Yeah, that's kind of. I was. I was kind of surprised because I'm, I'm a big fan of Wong, and I was kind of like, let's, let's get Wong up here. He's doing great in AAA. Let's get him up here. But yeah, Pulaki stuck around. Uh yeah. I, I think another thing that we started kind of started off with in our first podcast is. I'm more of a Kenley Jansen guy. Sam's more of a Chris Martin guy. So where, where do you stand on the sort of debate between those guys? Like, which of them do you think is going to be the bigger addition? Bigger? Do you mean who should? I mean, I think Jansen's going to be the closer. I think Martin's a good – I think Martin's probably the better of the two right now Um, just because I'm a sucker for people that don't walk anybody, and he walked five people last year. Um. 
Jansen, don't underestimate Jansen. He blew some saves, but he also saved like 40 plus games. And, you know, he's a, he's a real season force there. I think other than Kimbrell, he might be one of the best two living closers right now. If you just go historically, Nick can never count those guys out. Mm-hmm. Plus yeah. his cutter is probably, I think I, it was ranked somewhere that he has the third best cutter in baseball. And you have a plus pitch like that for one inning. I mean, Rivera made his bones off that, you know? Yeah, I think that I think that was kind of like what I really like about Jansen. Plus, his his, his stat cast base looks like phenomenal, and I'm kind of a sucker for stat cast. But yeah, I I really think that with Jansen, he has that sort of like he has that really good cutter. Uh, I feel like in the closing rule, so I was, that's why I'm kind of a big kind of Jansen guy. But speaking of closers and late inning relievers. How do guys like Brian Mata factor into the trust meter, like when they're on the cusp of getting called up? I mean, Mata wouldn't be on the trust meter because he's still technically a starter. If he came in as a reliever, which is a possibility, um, you know, his with his injury history, it's hard to tell if he's going to play better as like a setup man type, at least initially. Um but you rank him compared to the other guys there. This is how I always did it when, um, you know, let's say uh, Zach Kelly again, because he's my boy, got called up last year. I looked at the other – who was leaving the Trustometer, who was coming on to it, and where they factored in compared to the people that were still left there. So I think Brazier was still on it. I didn't trust Brazier at all at that point, so any new addition was going ahead of him. Uh you know, I wasn't terribly trusting of Caleb Ord on that point. At that point, so you know, I knew he was going ahead of Ord. Same can go for. I mean, I'm losing track in my head of who some of the relievers on the team were at this point. Like, who were? It was Matt Strom, and who was the second lefty after after Deepman? They didn't have one, right? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Can I just say, like, and I don't hold anything personal towards any player. Like, everyone's trying their best, and. I'm sure he's a good guy, but I, I do not miss watching Jake Diekman pitch. I would, every inning, I would just take my dog out that he was in because I knew that when I came back, there'd be like one out, a three, one count, and, and two men on base. So it was like, okay, I don't need to, I don't need, I can, I can wait to see if they manage to get a double play here. I don't need to see the buildup to it. Um, And that seems to be a lot of the strategy right now um, is to find those strike throwers. Um. Which leads me to think also that Mata, they're probably still leading towards as um, a starter just because he really, the control is still kind of a question with him. I was sort of looking at like Mata when he's coming up. He does kind of feel like that sort of starter unless if they need to move to the bullpen, they will. But like they kind of want him to be a starter because I mean, it's more valuable that way. Yeah, I mean, I thought Brian Bayer was going to end up being used like that last year. Um, And then obviously everybody in the rotation got hurt and they ended up having to move him up a little quicker than they thought necessary and he did it i i mean he had a rough initial time but that's he had a really good september and i think has earned himself at the very least plenty of consideration for an opening day rotation spot um so you never know until you give the guy an opportunity uh but i think that they probably at least for now favor him as a starting pitcher one thing that i saw that was interesting on bayo is that him with Vasquez catching had like an 8-5 ERA, but him with, I think it was McGuire, had like a 2-5. Like the, the splits were insane, and it was like a 16-inning versus 15-inning difference. I mean, it was really comparable sample size and just dramatically different results. So that'll be something interesting to watch going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's still a pretty small sample size. Uh, Bayo 
is no longer qualified as um as a rookie anymore but he still did i think it was only 57 innings last year so it's hard to really make any um any real assessment from that type of um a sample size it would surprise me if he had a better era with walk also just because he actually had gotten to throw with him a bit in triple a um but you know like you know your rapport with the catcher obviously is important you know we've seen that with guys was it was it Evaldi that couldn't or Evaldi like he couldn't throw to to uh Vasquez he needed Ploiecki as his guy there like we, we see that where guys have their personal catchers yeah mm-hmm. yeah no it was yeah and I, I'm in love with Bear I'm just a, I'm a huge Bear fan if there's the who's probably my number one top player on the roster right now so I and I really think like last season like I, I'm kind of hoping he missed the opening day roster and they don't kind of go back to that sort of like last season, they'd have him be like, I kept on kind of have this like quality start watch where it'd be like, okay, he's at he's at five innings and they take him out and something like that. So I'm I'm kind of excited to see with him if they keep him, because especially with this sort of new defense that he's gonna have, he's gonna have, hopefully you can have like Mendez, you're gonna have Duvall as opposed to like Duran and then just whoever else they kind of threw out there last year. So I th- I think Bale is probably. I guess he's my number one guy, and I think he's going to look a lot better, especially being that ground ball kind of pitcher. Yeah, yeah. and I mean he'll be more seasoned this time around as well. Um, and you know he's going to have he's going to take his lumps. Every pitcher does. There's very very few people come up to the majors, especially pitchers, without you know getting hit at points. Um, he'll probably yeah. he's going to be throwing more innings. He's going to have to have his a game with him every day like he was it seemed like there were a few points in double play where he was just kind of on autopilot he was just that good um and he probably didn't have to quite push as hard you can't get away with that in the majors um but he's he's good he's i i think he's probably the best prospect to come through the systems i would say since either lester or buckles that was completely home developed um granted that's kind of a low bar but when you just look at I don't know if it's fair to compare him to Pedro Martinez. I kind of find the Pedro Jr. stuff to be like, okay, let's, you know, let's let's let him pitch for a few years before we start talking and calling him like a first ballot Hall of Famer. But you know, you watch him pitch, you see how how confident he is and how much how 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 much late explosion his fastball has, how much natural movement is on it, you know, and how heavy that pitch is. It's it really does make you make you feel like he could, I you know I don't want to say anchor or rotation, but certainly be at the top of one. Yeah, that's he he kind of gets the as a sort of I'm a 49ers fan, and with Tano Hufanga, the whole thing is that he trained with Troy Palomalo, and he kind of looks like I'm with the hair. So they kind of gets that with Pedro Martinez, where it's it is it's, it's a little bit early to be calling him a Hall of Famer. But I think I think he's going to be a, a breakout candidate for this roster. And that comparison isn't helped with the fact that they've been working out together the whole summer. <laughs> Are they all yeah. the whole season? Oh yeah, or that he's a skinny guy from the Dominican with big fingers. <laughs> he's going to get that that MLB the show. They're going to have the, that one voice and it's going to be like, Brian Vale. Do you know he trains with Pedro Martinez? And that's <laughs> you hear that. Uh, so let me let me ask you guys something. Um, how how do you two know each other? Yeah, so actually, we we met. On, there's a there's a football Discord that we were both in, and we met on that football Discord, and we kind of started talking about the Red Sox. And then Sam invited me. There's there's a Red Sox dis- Discord as well that Sam invited me to, and then we started kind of talking more and more, and just we both kind of had this. We both love prospects. We both love the stats and all that, and then just yeah, we just kept on going. 
with with that sort of friendship there and then finally just hey you want to do a podcast and we got it started yeah and how how did you end up with the name uh uh socks of the city yeah <laughs> somebody suggested it on twitter but also i was we were trying to figure out a name and i looked at one of those like ai chat things and i'm like what, what's a good name for a for a socks podcast <laughs> first ones were bad and then i saw socks in the city i'm like okay this might be it what do you now, have you guys actually watched Sex of the City, the, t- the television show? Oh man, I'm gonna get killed, but I have yeah. not. <laughs> I have not either. Neither, but... so I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, I have a fiance, I have seen every episode of it, and I have seen every episode of its uh sequel series. Um, and just like that, which I will tell you is one of the worst things I've ever watched, but. <laughs> I'm a good boyfriend, so I've watched the whole thing. Um, but I thought that this was getting a little more connected to that. Um, so it's a little disappointing. Oh, we do um, want to hear. We do want to hear what is your sex yeah. with Sopranos combination? Yeah. So I'm, um, you know, on, on on the low key. You know, I dabble in fan fiction usually um, during the uh, during a political race. I will write. So I will write some a good slash fic about um, whoever is running against uh, the other person. But I've dabbled in other ideas, and I, I really think that there was, and it's never going to happen now, because Kim Cattrall's out, and the guy who played um, uh, Polly is dead. But I, I thought that um, a storyline that had Samantha dating Polly and two timing her with um, with Christopher could really bring some interesting drama into the show, especially considering the. Uh, the New York relationship there. Like, I think that that, if I were going season seven for the Sopranos or that, that's probably where I would have, the direction I would have gone in. I think that, um, you know, uh, you could kill off all of my least favorite characters, uh, from sex of the city pretty easily that way. Um, combine the two audiences. These are HBO's two biggest shows. Like, you know, so you have the one that all the men like, you have the one that all the women like, and you, you just merge them together. Everybody will be happy, right? Like, there's no way that could go that can go poorly. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested. I, I would definitely watch that. That would that would be a good way to get the younger audience, I think, to watch Sex in the City. So I think, I think that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, and Kim Cattrall's great. She's great in everything. I think that that's the biggest loss for um, and just like that, no Kim Cattrall, no thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll definitely have to check it out, see how we can incorporate Sex in the City with Red Sox podcasting. I'm just saying, it's a pot, like maybe you could do like um, a logo for it with like your faces dubbed over them or something, and then like have Wally <laughs> and uh, Girl Wally over like the, the other two. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of possibilities you can do. I'm just saying, just, just keep an open mind. People like name recognition, so that might work. You know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, like it's it's an idea. That's a, that's a good yeah. idea. We're probably going to be using that. <laughs> All right. And then what expectations do you have for this bullpen and then for the 2023 Red Sox as a whole? Oh, God. It's hard to predict a bullpen. Like, you can, you can look at it on paper and then just every – like, is it such – these guys are throwing, what, like 65 innings a season if they're good. Um, injuries play into it. But I think that this is – like, like with that preface – now that I, I have that that warning, I mean, it's hard not to like this bullpen. It really is. When you look, not just at the top level where you have Jamston in the closer role, who probably isn't even talent-wise the best pitcher, but he's experienced in putting him in the ninth. You can kind of pick and choose with 
your other big guys like Schreiber, who was filthy good last year, which, you know, when you have a weird arm angle and you can throw a sinker and you add three miles an hour to your fastball, like that's going to be pretty tough to hit. So he, I think, is the real deal. I don't think he was a flash in the pan. Um, and then you've also got Hauk, who I think is going to be in the pen, maybe in a role similar to what Whitlock had last year when he was in relief, where you kind of use him as like a two-inning guy just to clean up the toughest part of the other team's lineup. Um, you obviously, they also got Chris Martin, who we talked about, strike-throwing machine, who gets a lot of strikeouts on top of that. Um, so your righties are in, are in good shape there. Um, and you even have some decent pieces on the 40-man at AAA that, you know, uh, Zach Kelly, as I said before, has a really good changeup, 97-mile-an-hour fastball. He's worked on that cutter quite a bit. He's somebody to keep an eye on. Um Caleb Ord had he was his ERA got a little blown out of proportion last year because he was the pitcher during that 28 to 2 game or whatever you know where um Tapia hit that inside the park grand slam that was Ord so I think I read somewhere that without that inning he had an ERA around like 3.90 which you know that's that's fine for for minor league depth and you know those 102 mile an hour fastballs don't grow on trees I was seeing him pitch a ton in triple a this year and when that guy's on I mean First of all, I don't think you realize just how big someone like him and Zach Kelly are. Those two look like linebackers that just like learn how to throw fastballs. They're as imposing as you're gonna as you're gonna say. Um I like Ort. I under like I've heard some people being like, oh, why'd we drop Herman over Ort? And I think some of that's because they could actually get something back for Herman. Um who I disagree with the assessment that he's not going to be a late inning guy. I can see him being a seventh inning guy just on his fastball, but he his secondaries aren't there yet. Um, so he's not a, he's far from a sure thing. But a team will take a chance on that too, especially if you know he can add something. I think he has a slider. I forget his exact pitch uh, pitch mix, but I just he was another guy at AAA. He's a splitter um, and a slider. But yeah, no, I mean if he can up that splitter into like a league average pitch. You could use him as a seventh inning guy. It was really fun at AAA last year, just watching him fire 97 mile an hour fastball after 97 mile an hour fastball wherever he wanted. It was like he's he can throw. He can definitely throw. It's just is he going to figure out that pitch? Because you know, one pitch unless you're Mariano Rivera and it's a cutter, you really can't get away with that at the big league level. Um, yeah, but then for the left, yeah, for the lefties, there's um, Rodriguez who has control issues. He's kind of the odd man uh, uh, with the rest of these guys who are all a lot of strike throwers, but you know, he, I think, I, I think I read that he has the the fastest recorded pitch for a lefty in uh, the history of uh, the MPB, the Japanese baseball league. Um, so he's a hard thrower. He's got, he's kind of the antithesis of Blyer who, uh, you know, you guys were talking about how he's like, doesn't have special stuff, but he throws strikes and he induces bad, bad contact. And that's, you know, that's your mix and match there with him that you can kind of play it off of uh, whoever else is there. You also mentioned uh, Blyer pitching for Team Israel. Red Sox have two lefties that they just got that are pitching for Team Israel because they just brought in uh, Ryan Sharif on a, uh, on a minor league contract. So they're really uh, cornering the market there on uh, on Jewish lefties. You know, they just got to get Max Fried now, bring Craig Breslow out of retirement. There you go. <laughs> I would not mind a trade for Max Fried. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine him just like in, in a Red Sox uniform, how that would change the, the, the entire outlook of that rotation? Oh, God, it would, oh, be, it would be beautiful. It's not happening, but it would be beautiful. 
We can dream. <laughs> it's fun to dream. Um, but you also asked about uh, the team's like entire outlook, and I think I saw Chris Hatfield. I think it was a Chris Hatfield thing where it was basically that there's nobody, there's no team in baseball that has a more volatile outcome than the Red Sox offense. Um, just a lot of question marks. Like, and when because when you think about it, like look at a guy like Adam Duvall. Would you be surprised if he hit like 240 with 30 home runs? Yeah, not at all. No, no, you wouldn't be at all. Would you be surprised if he hit like 200 with like 15 home runs? Yeah, probably not. Yeah, it, there's just a lot, a wide range of outcomes there, you know? Um, so even not even a guy like Duval, you've got Kike Hernandez. We don't know what Christian Arroyo and Edelberto Mondesi are going to be with a full season. We don't know what Yoshida is going to be. Um, we don't know if Christian, Tristan Cassis is going to make the jump. We don't know if Reese McGuire is going to be able to play. We, you know, like Verdugo, we kind of know what his floor is, but we don't know if he's going to be able to max out on that. Devers is probably the only real known commodity that they have on the entire on the entire squad. Maybe Justin Turner, but he's 38. Like who who knows what he's going to be able to do? There's just there's a lot of outcomes. And I think that what my expectation is, um, is that they will be somewhere in the middle. It'll be some of the guys will flourish and do really, really well. Some of the guys will struggle and the difference will be who gets hurt and how the depth performers do because you know if you have a rotate the rotation right now there are some question marks you know sales health um what does kluber have left can whitlock and bayo move to a to full season starting roles but they have a lot more depth options this year too because you have james paxton you have cutter crawford and jay and uh, josh winkowski now having some seasoning on them you have Brandon Walter, who I think is the underlooked guy in all of this. That's a guy that, um, if you were talking guys that don't walk people, not only does Brandon Walter not walk anybody, he strikes everybody out too, and has something that we've I've gotten to talk to guys like um, Cole Cottom, um, who's like a minor league catcher, and Eli Marrero, and everybody that is caught there says that his slider is the single filthiest pitch that they've uh, that they've caught. Um, and he has a changeup. His fastball tops out at 95. And he's, you know, you talk a bit to this guy about pitching. He is as confident as they come. I just, the thing that always stands out to me is he's like, I know my control's good. I know it's not good enough that I can throw something straight down the middle every single time. So I try to do that and it'll just move off of it enough and then they'll miss it. Like the balls on somebody just saying, I'm going to shove it down your throat. And if you can hit my guest, I mean, that's. I don't know, like that that that's pretty cool. And I think, you know, he's somebody that might take his lumps too, but he's gonna figure it out. Like that's yeah, that that's a guy with um a number three ceiling that no one's really talking about. I'll tell it to Keith Wallhead. <laughs> uh you know, I I think we were talking about this a little bit on the show before. Um it's really difficult two grade 30 teams and to know their system um you know front and front and back the way that Sox prospects knows the Red Sox um Sox prospects has been at it for a really long time they have a very good crew that they trust and again they're focused on one team can you imagine doing that having one dude do it for 30 teams I mean, I, I'm writing the highlights up for these guys every night during the regular season, and I lose track of some of them. Like, imagine, I, I, I like, 
it's a Herculean effort, and I think that the biases really come out a bit, um, which is a very wordy way of saying I appreciate the effort, Keith Law, but like you can't do 30 teams by yourself and expect to get all of them right. Um, and uh, honestly, my issue isn't even just him rating them that far down. It's putting Sadon Rafaela as a top 40 prospect ahead of Tristan Cassis and Miguel Blaze or Blaze or however you pronounce it. That's my issue. Um, I think more than even, because, you know, his logic kind of checks out if you're going by them not having strong, like, any top 100 pitching prospects and you really value your pitching prospects fine but what are you doing putting a guy that hasn't proven he can hit above double a that high just because his defense is good are you saying that you you're not valuing offense you're valuing pitching and you're actually valuing defense more than it just it, it's just seems i don't know like he was just throwing a bunch of darts and seeing what would hit and, you know maybe he'll be right maybe rafaela will be more mookie bets than kike hernandez but um, just from what I know and from seeing him play, I think that his floor is um is a major league infielder, but I, his approach is just so aggressive right now. And he makes the problem with that is that his hand eye coordination is almost too good because he makes contact swinging at pitches he has absolutely no business swinging at, and he's not Vladimir Guerrero. He can't like accident or, or he's not Rappy Devers either. He can't accidentally hit a home run over like the left field fence. You know, um, he's he's not a big dude. He's five eight. Um. He's like I don't I just don't know how you can put someone like him over somebody that plays great first base defense and has that major league approach like Cassis does. It's just it's it's mind-boggling to me. Law is a professional though. He I'm sure he thinks he's right. I'm sure there are a lot of people that think he's right. Um I do not. <laughs> thank thank you so much for coming on here, especially with this brand new podcast, and thanks for all your insight too. Yeah, hell yeah, guys. Um, let me ask you guys one question before we go. Then, um, what are your outlooks for this team? Here, uh, well, do you want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. So, I, I think I think it's like what you said. I I had kind of had my initial was sort of around a little bit like like that that 80, 80 wins where we hit last year. Seems so kind of like a decent median, but I, I'm I don't know. I tend to to think that they'll do a lot better. Like I, I think they have a chance. To, to like if you're saying a lot of these guys hit to sort of get in that sort of top of the division try to I don't, I don't think I think maybe winning the division's a little bit out of reach probably with the the Yankees and all the talent they have there but I think they can contend for it at least for a while they can make it interesting just because I, I have a lot of belief in I think cause is going to be really good and I think just I think a lot I think the depth going from sort of the Duran Dalbeck Franchi's kind of depth we had last year to like actual legit players, I think that's going to make a pretty big difference. So I, I think they're going to do like fairly well this season. Yeah, I did give you guys my answer. Also, I was like, well, there's a lot of a uh, lot of question marks, but I think that they're going to be. This is going to be the most Tampa Bay Rays team we've ever seen in Boston. I think they're going to be the sum of their parts. The only real offensive superstar is going to be um, Devers, but they're going to be really annoying, and they're going to win the games that they're supposed to win. Um, 
Yeah. Because they have they have that bullpen. They have guys that will be able to get them through the five, six innings, and they'll be able be, just because of the amount of contact. I can't I, I like just thinking back, do you guys remember all those times that they had runners on like second and third with no outs and nobody came in to score last year and even 2021? I don't think we're gonna be seeing that as much. And I don't think we're gonna be seeing another 20 blown saves like we did last year. So I my guess is third place in one of the wild card spots. But you know, I'm I'm an optimist, so we'll see. That's we like that. We like optimism. Sam, let's finish on you. Let's finish on you, Sam. Well, yeah, we are the world's first positive Red Sox podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that this team's probably going to come out around the 2021 Red Sox. I think that the best part of the 2021 Red Sox is not the not the actual wins, not the actual like ALCS run, but the like amount of personalities that really shine through. And that made the team just even more fun than just going to the OCS. So adding guys like re- re-signing Kike Hernandez, getting getting Masataki Yoshida, getting Adalberto Mondesi. I think this is going to be a really, really fun team. I think that they're going to come in at like the 6-7 wildcard spot. But I think that they're going to be the fun team that makes it all the way and pushes all the way through to the World Series. I'm not that optimistic, um, <laughs> but I do think they're going to surprise people. Um, yeah, no, I do think they're going to surprise people and they're going to be a lot of fun. Um, there's already a lot of entertaining guys on this team and a lot of entertaining guys coming. Uh, and I think that it's, I don't know, like, it's just, it's hard for me to look at this roster and understand why people are so down on it. Like, yeah, yeah. Would they be better with Xander Bogarts on the team? Absolutely. But, you know, like, uh, well, who was it that said um, uh, AJ Preller smoked a whole bunch of crack and uh, gave him like nobody knew that like he was going to go on that bender because it was like who thought he was going to get 280 million 11 million 11 years or whatever it was like yeah. uh, like it sucks but yeah more power to them for that deal <laughs> yeah I think people saw this like everyone I think everyone outside the sort of Red Sox fear was like Xander Bogarts left and no one came in oh man they're I guess they're not going to be good this year. It's over. It's over. Done. <laughs> it's over. Xander Bogarts, you know, first place team with him in that lineup. They totally didn't place last last year. He totally wasn't, I don't want to say entitled, but he wasn't hungry. Yeah. I, I don't, I think that that's the problem with a lot of these uh, 2018 guys. They lost that hunger after they won. It happens. Yeah. yeah but it also, it, it also felt like, I don't know if it was an injury. I don't know if it was he wasn't hungry. It may just be his age, but it felt like he regressed. It's hard to put up a six-war season and feel like he regressed pretty significantly, but it felt like the power numbers just weren't there at all. Well, his defense improved, and some of that was positioning. It's going to be really interesting to see how he is um, with the shift ban. But um, and this is, I don't want to make this seem like it's like an anti-Xander Bogarts thing. Like, he's great player great red sock i just don't like people fixating so much on past players and you know this is somebody that never really got over nomar garcia power being traded so there's a little bit of hypocrisy there like i get it but i don't have that attachment to anybody anymore so i can say that also <laughs> that's probably the better way to not get hurt but <sighs> exactly you know if you don't put yourself out there this has become a completely different uh conversation now but with valentine's day coming up (laughs) (laughs) 
my dog hopped on my lap midway of this, so I'm just gonna introduce you guys to her. This is Penny. She was the dog that Aww. you probably heard screaming a little while ago. Penny, say why are you being rude? Say hello. She's part corgi, part chihuahua. That's that's a, that's a really cute dog. Yeah, she's a good girl. We got very lucky with her. She's also um like hates everybody outside of the house. So every time I record now, she is just screaming one way or the other. We need to move out of an apartment. <laughs> that's, that's the chihuahua. That's the chihuahua right there. The problem is, there's the, the corgi just makes her loud. So it's like the mixture of the two. It, it, it's it can be it can if she if she wasn't such a good dog, it would be it would be annoying. But she's very good, so it's it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks again. I'll let you enjoy the rest of your night. You too, guys. Uh, anytime, you know, if you want me back, let me know. This is fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you so much. Okay. See ya.